0: Uh, Today, we have the pleasure of having Dr. Con Campbell with us. As many of you know, Bill Gorman, our campus pastor, is on sabbatical this summer, and Bill was blessed to be awarded a grant from the Lilly Foundation that not only allows him and his family to refresh and study for 12 weeks, but also allows for us to have some guest speakers while he's gone. So we're very thankful to Bill and the Lilly Foundation for this opportunity. Con is originally from Australia and now resides in the suburbs of Chicago, where he teaches at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Trinity is a school that we partner with to bring in all of our amazing fellows like Paul Brandis and Anthony Emerson, both of who are with us here at Brookside. And in addition to this aspect of the partnership, we also want to announce that starting this fall, Christ Community will be an official extension site of Trinity. We believe that Trinity is an extraordinary institution and we've jumped at the chance to bring such a high level of theological education to Kansas City. Classes begin in the middle of September and registration is open now, so if you're interested or have any questions, contact Paul Brandis. khan has been teaching at Trinity for the last two years and is not only a great saxophonist, as you've heard this morning, he's a great teacher and author and also a fantastic preacher. So today he'll preach from Ephesians 1 and talk about his experience as being a jazz musician who found Jesus. It's actually a very similar story to my own, so I'm really excited to hear what Khan has to say. So I'm going to read scripture, and then we'll have Khan come up and preach. Our scripture is found in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. It's found on page 976 in your pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take one of these as a gift from us, the church, to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, it's a great pleasure to be with you here this morning to play jazz with such great musicians and to talk about Jesus is pretty much my idea of a perfect Sunday. So thanks for having me here. I began learning piano at the age of six and, to be honest, didn't really get into it. But when I took up the saxophone at the age of 12, I immediately loved it, started practicing all the time. And at the age of 15... A relative of mine, an uncle, gave me a Stan Getz record, He's a great saxophone player, and I got hooked on jazz. And I fell in love with this music and listened to that record pretty much non-stop for a whole year, and then I discovered other musicians as well. And By the end of high school, jazz had become the most important thing in my life. I wasn't studying, I didn't care about books in school. I just practiced the saxophone and I love jazz. And, and looking back on it, I can see that actually jazz was powerfully shaping my life. And I could say probably in three ways in particular it was shaping my life. First, it shaped my identity. So I identified myself as a musician and in particular a jazz musician. If you ask, ask me who I was... That's how I would answer, I'm a musician. In fact, I remember one time, I met one of my uncle's colleagues, and he said, what do you do? And I was still in school, so I should have said, I'm a school student, but I, instead I said, I'm a musician. And my uncle commented, that, w- that was interesting, that my identity had been wrapped around music. The other thing, the other way that jazz had shaped me was, it gave me a a lord. Jazz was actually boss of my life. Jazz was calling the shots. I would make my decisions based on what was good for jazz. And later on when I went to jazz school, at music school, that kind of attitude was encouraged. And my lecturers, my my professors, they all treated jazz as their lord. And the implicit message was, if you're going to make it as a musician, jazz has to be your Lord. It has to be God in your life. And the third way that jazz shaped my life was that it gave me purpose. So my purpose in life was to play music. My purpose in life was to become the greatest musician I could possibly become. My purpose in life was to travel the world playing music with the best musicians I could play with. That was my purpose. So jazz had really shaped my life. This is all by the end of high school. It had shaped my identity. It had given me a Lord. And it had given me a purpose. But something else was happening around the same time. And I, I had a music teacher at school who had this band. And she invited some of us who were into jazz to play with this band. And it turns out this band, they were all Christians. And they kind of invited us to church. And by the end of my first year at music school... I would become a Christian. But that was a difficult process because as I learned from the Bible what it said about Jesus and what he's done for us and who he is, I realised jazz had been occupying the place in my life that Jesus should have. Jazz was my God. Jazz was my idol. Jazz was my Lord. And the Bible says... Only Jesus can be your Lord. He is the true Lord. So I want to share with you this morning a few thoughts about how knowing Jesus has reshaped my life, particularly through those lenses of identity, lordship, and purpose. And what I want to do is walk through Ephesians chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, please open it up to Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 1. This is a magnificent letter. If you're allowed to have favorites in the Bible, it's my favorite letter. And one of the great themes in this letter is the theme of union with Christ. It's an extremely significant idea that the Apostle Paul teaches on every page of his writings, that we are connected to Christ, that we are in Christ, and he is in us. If we have faith in Jesus... Our wagon is hitched to his wagon. And that is the way that God blesses us through and in Christ. And if we look at the uh, verses that John read out for us from Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 14, we see many times the phrase in him or in Christ or through him or through Christ. And we see that everything that God blesses us with Everything that God gives us as a Christian is in and through Christ. So we're going to just sort of very briefly walk through these verses. We don't have time to unpack them all. I mean, I could could give a whole talk just on verse 3. I could easily give a talk just on verse 4 or verse 5. This this passage is jam-packed, full of dense and profound theological concepts. So really all we can do this morning is skate across the surface and keep an eye out for this in Christ language and idea. Okay, so come with me. First verse 3. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Notice that this is like a heading. This is like a summary verse for the whole passage. He's saying every spiritual blessing that God has given to us is given in Christ. And then what Paul does is lists a whole bunch of these spiritual blessings. So he goes on, verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ, for himself, according to his favor and will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us with, uh, uh, in the beloved, in the one he loves. We have redemption in him, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he planned in him... For the administration of the days of fulfillment to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. We have also received an inheritance in him, predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in Him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You see there that these absolutely fundamental gifts from God are all mediated to the believer through Christ. We are chosen by God in Him, we are redeemed in him we are adopted in him we are given the Holy Spirit through him and they're just a few of the headlines every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ and I want to just step back from this passage a little bit and give you a, a very quick summary of this idea of union with Christ Many Christians do not really understand this doctrine. You may not have even heard of it before, but this passage and many others shows us how important it really is. Now I think we can summarize union with Christ using four words. The first one is union. Paul says that we are united with Christ in the same way that a husband and a wife are united. They become one flesh, Ephesians chapter 5. And when the Holy Spirit lives in you, that's Christ in you, and you are in him. It's a relationship of mutual indwelling. It's an intimate, relational bond. That's our union. We also have participation with Christ. This is the kind of language of dying with Christ. Or being raised with Christ, being baptized with Christ, being made alive with Christ. Romans chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 2, for example. And this is critical because it teaches us that when Jesus died on the cross, spiritually we're connected to him and so we spiritually die with him. And so when Jesus is raised to life again, spiritually we're connected to him and so we are raised to life with him. Our salvation depends on participation with Christ. Paul even says we are raised up into the heavenly places with Christ and are seated in the heavens with Christ. So spiritually, if you're a Christian, you are already seated in heaven. Spiritually, you are already there with God, seated with Christ. It's a crucial concept. We also see identification. What that means is when you become a Christian, you no longer identify with the world and with Adam. You don't belong to this realm anymore, but you belong to a new realm, the realm of Christ. And instead of belonging to the realm of Adam, which is characterized by sin and death, you belong to the realm of Christ, which is characterized by life and peace. And so if you have participated with Christ and you've died with Christ and you've been raised with Christ you are now identified entirely differently. You are no longer under the control of death. You now belong to life. And we had to think of ourselves that way. And the fourth term to understand union with Christ is the idea of incorporation. The Bible teaches that when you become a Christian, guess what? You're not only connected to Christ, you're connected to everyone else who's connected to Christ. You become a member of the body of Christ. And we are built together like bricks in a building whose foundation is Christ. So if I am in Christ and you are in Christ, then we are connected to each other. We belong to each other. We're family members. We're body parts together in the body of Christ. So these four terms, union, participation, identification, and This is how we summarize this idea of union with Christ. But there's one concept out of that that I want to focus on this morning. It's the concept of identity. I mentioned before that jazz gave me my identity. But when I became a Christian, my identity began to change. And my identity began to be shaped around Christ. Who we are is a very important question to ask. If someone asks you, who are you? How do you answer? Many people define themselves by what they do. I'm a jazz musician. I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm a housewife. Some people define themselves by their abilities. I play saxophone. I play baseball, I'm good at this, I'm good at that, I'm not really good at much at all. Some people define themselves by their popularity, I have 3,000 friends on Facebook. (laughs) Or I'm a bit of a loner, or actually I don't have any friends at all. Some people identify themselves by their relationships, I'm married, I'm single, I'm looking for love. Now, those, all of those things will define us in various ways. They, they do shape us and they are part of our identity. But they cannot be the thing that most fundamentally defines who we are. If you're a Christian, you are in Christ. And that fact has got to be the most fundamental aspect of your identity. Oh, you play saxophone, that's great. Oh, you play baseball, that's great. But who are you at core? Who are you really? If you're a Christian, you are in Christ. And that is a very important thing to get right when we're thinking about identity. Because what happens if I lose my ability to play the saxophone? What happens if I lose my job? What happens if my marriage falls apart? What happens if those things that we've been resting our identity on disappear? Who are we then? And so often we see it. That's exactly what happens. Someone loses their job and they don't know who they are anymore. Someone's marriage falls apart and they go through an identity crisis. Someone is prevented from doing the thing that they've spent years, 10,000 hours perfecting. And they don't know themselves anymore. All of those things are shifting sands. All of those things belong to the world and the world is passing by. But if our identity is anchored in Christ, if he defines primarily who we are, then that identity is secure no matter what happens. Lose your ability, doesn't matter, I'm still in Christ. Lose your job, it doesn't matter, I'm still in Christ. Lose your relationship, it doesn't matter, I'm still in Christ. Lose your life, it doesn't matter, I'm still in Christ. For all eternity. When I became a Christian, my identity changed. It took some time for that to happen. But it changed for the better. When I became a Christian, my lord changed. This took some time as well because when you spend your 10,000 hours practicing the saxophone and when you practice 6 to 8 hours a day and when you're used to revolving all of your life around this idol, it's very difficult to learn how to live a different way. The Bible's very clear that if you're a Christian, Jesus is lord. In fact, Even if you're not a Christian, that's true. It's just a question of whether you're going to recognize the truth of that reality. At the end of chapter 1 of Ephesians, have a look with me from verse 20, Paul spells out just what a magnificent Lord he is above all things. He says, verse 20, that God demonstrated his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Christ is above all things. Everything has been put under his feet. He is the Lord of the entire universe. But so often people don't live that way. And we live with false lords. The thing about these, not only are they false, they're not good for us. Charlie Parker Born Kansas City, grew up in Kansas City, learned to play jazz in Kansas City. One of my great heroes, one of the greatest musicians of the 20th century, lived for jazz, had a terrible life, dead at the age of 34 from abusing his body. John Coltrane, one of the other great heroes of our music, dead at 40, consequences of abusing his body through drugs and alcohol. So many musicians who worship at the altar of jazz have terrible, messed up, destructive lives. But it's not only jazz. I don't mean to pick on that. It's any false idol. If you live for work, it will destroy you. If you live for money, it will destroy you. If you live for sex, it will destroy you. Anything you live for that's not Christ, in the end, will destroy you. Because it's not as though these things are bad. They're good gifts from God. I believe that. Jazz is not the devil's music. Jesus loves jazz. I'm sure of that. <laughs> and we will be playing jazz in heaven. The problem is when you take the gift and you make it the God. When you take the gift and make it the God, it becomes a bad Idol, and it will destroy you. This passage gives us a glorious picture of Jesus Christ as Lord over all things. And I wonder, how big is your picture of Jesus? Some people, when they think of Jesus, they think baby Jesus, meek and mild. Some people think of an emaciated corpse on a cross. Some people think master of the universe let me ask you when you stare up into the sky at night when you look into the stars on a clear night what do you see do you see a universe that is random meaningless uncontrolled unknowable Or do you see a universe that bows at the feet of Jesus? How you see the universe will affect the way you live. It's inevitable. You may not be conscious of it, but it is inevitable. If you think the universe is completely random, well, life must be meaningless. There's no meaning in a random universe. If you think the universe is chaos, then there is no reason for hope in life because you don't know what's going to happen and there's no guarantee that it's all going to come to a happy ending. If you think the universe is fundamentally unknowable, you'll live in fear because we fear the things we don't understand. But if you live in a way that sees the universe as made by Jesus, as sustained by Jesus, and as submitted to Jesus, it will change the way you live. It has to. For one thing, it will affect our obedience. The stars obey Him. Who are we? To rebel. You don't mess with the one who could end your planet. You don't mess with the one who could throw you into hell. But not only does it affect our obedience, it it affects our priorities. Because we see that the world doesn't revolve around me. The world revolves around the sun. And the Son was made for Jesus. And not only does it affect our obedience and our priorities, but it affects our love. Because we realize that the master of the entire universe cares for me. He wants me. He loves me. Me. And the universe looked on in awe and amazement as its creator gave his life for the dust of the earth. Well, the third thing that changed when I became a Christian was the purpose in life. I mentioned before that my purpose was to play music and the thing about music is it's a lot of fun and it's a joyous experience and it is a great privilege but it just doesn't feel weighty enough to be what your entire life is about. There's more to us human beings than having fun playing music. There's more to us human beings than working hard and making a career for yourself. There's more to us human beings than getting rich or becoming famous. We are made for so much more than that. None of those things are good purposes in life. They're good things in and of themselves. They're gifts. But they cannot be the purpose, the thing we live for. Probably this took the longest to change in my life where my purpose actually ended up not being about me really at all. And we see the purpose that we're made for, the purpose that we are saved for in this passage in Ephesians 1. It's one of these things that when you're reading it, you probably skip over and you don't notice it. And I think we do that when we read the Bible. Okay, I will I won't put this on you. This is what I do, at least. But I suspect many of you too. You read the Bible and you skip over these phrases because, to be honest, they don't really have anything to do with me. But there is a threefold refrain in this passage that is all about God and all about Christ. So if you look at the verses 4, 5, and 6... God chose us in Christ. He predestined us to be adopted. Notice verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. We're chosen. We're adopted. We're predestined. And those are all good things for us. They're all good things. To be chosen by God, what a privilege. But we are not the end point. We are not the goal. We are not the purpose. The end point is to praise God. God, we see that again, verses 11 and 12, we've received an inheritance, predestined, we put our hope in Christ so that we might bring praise to his glory. And finally, verses 13 and 14, you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, The Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. Three times. You probably missed it when we read it through. Three times it comes up. It's for the praise of His glory. We exist to bring praise and glory to God. We are saved and redeemed to bring praise and glory to God. And for many people, that doesn't sound great because it's about someone else. But the reality is, it's what we're made for and we will only find true contentment when we are living for that goal. We will only meet our true potential as human beings if this is our purpose in life. It's kind of ironic Really? But it fits what Jesus said. You lose your life, you'll find it. Stop living for yourself and you'll be blessed beyond your wildest imagination. We take our eyes off ourselves and fix them on him. We stop living to bring glory to ourselves or contentment or pleasure and seek to praise Him, all those things will be added unto us. But this is possibly the most difficult change for the Christian. I know it was the most difficult thing for me. And it keeps coming up. Even once I'd gone into full-time Christian ministry, studying at seminary, learning to preach, and then later on doing academic work and writing books, I still brought it back to being about me. I'm like, well, I'm doing the Lord's work so that I can get famous. (laughs) I'm preaching a sermon to glorify God so that you will think I'm a good preacher. I'm writing a book to serve the church, and hopefully it will be a bestseller. It's a constant problem and temptation. It's our sinful nature keep rearing its, its head up. And so we we need this reminder. We don't exist for ourselves. We are not the end point. And living for ourselves, it never makes us happy. We think it will. Just do whatever you want. Won't that make you happy? It's a lie. It's not what we're made for. And if we bring glory and honor to Jesus, the irony is that's where we will find contentment and joy. The world, of course, thinks completely the other way, and there was an amusement park ride developed in Florida called Ego Trip. <laughs> the ride about you. And the way you would participate in this ride is you know, they would take images of you, photographs, record your voice saying certain things, and um, film of you, and things like that. You would enter the ride, and immediately, You would stand on the stage in a political rally where everyone would be chanting your name to run for president. Then after that, you would go into a sporting arena and you would throw the first pitch of the game and everyone would cheer your name. Then you would go down a ticker tape parade with the streets lined with people, again, cheering your name. Then you would go to the art gallery and you would see these pictures by Picasso and Warhol of you. Wouldn't look so good with Picasso, but... (laughs) And then finally, when the ride's over, you go through the merchandise area and you can buy any number of trinkets emblazoned with your image. When he was asked about this, the president of Renaissance Company that invented this ride, John Pinkowski, when he was asked about this, he said, well, what's everyone's favorite subject? Themselves, of course. Now that's true of the world. That's tapping into something deep and true. It cannot be true of people who confess Christ. We belong to Him and we do not live for ourselves, we live for His glory. And because He is a good Lord rather than a bad, false Lord, He blesses us richly. We have nothing to fear. We might lose our possessions. We might lose money. We might lose glory and fame. But we will gain the kingdom of heaven. And you can't do any better than that. So to conclude, jazz, I've been a little bit down on it today, I admit. But I love jazz. And it's a great gift from God. And there are many things that he's gifted us with. But none of those things can be God. None of those things can be Lord. None of those things can shape your identity. Only Christ can do that. None of those things can be your Lord. He is the boss, everything's under his feet. And none of those things can give you true purpose in life. They just lead down to blind alleys and false paths. The true purpose in life is to live for Christ, to praise his name, to give him the glory. Let us pray that we would do that today. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your rich and abundant blessings in so many ways, the gift of music, sport, family and friends and work and leisure, so many things. But Lord, please protect us from making idols of your gifts.